0: Welcome to Coffee with Condeva, a series of thought-provoking conversations about complex drug delivery. Today we will be talking with Louise Wrighton about the role of sustainability as it relates to pressurized meter dose inhalers. I'm your host, John Price. It's my privilege to host Louise Wrighton on today's episode of Coffee with Condeva. Louise Wrighton is Global Strategic Marketing Leader for the Inhaled Drug Delivery Business at Condeva. She has worked in the PMDI sector for 17 years across marketing and government affairs. She is a board member at IPAC, the International Pharmaceutical Aerosol Consortium, where she advocates for the PMDI as an essential drug delivery device in the management of lung disease, working to ensure that global environmental policies relevant to inhaled therapies appropriately balance patient care and sustainability efforts and objectives. She works closely with the R&D team at Candeva to promote the use of sustainable technologies in Candeva's new product developments. We've got a pertinent topic here today around some of the sustainability efforts going on, especially within PMDI, as well as some of the policies involved. You recently wrote an article in On Drug Delivery on this topic. We'll have a link to the article below in the description for those who want to reference that, but I thought first let's level set here and discuss why these changes are happening. I understand that we went from a CFC-based propellant back in the 1990s and transitioned to an HFA propellant. Is this similar? Are we facing the same thing now? If you want to speak to that, that'd be great.
1: Yes, John, absolutely. So. What we're seeing now is as a result of climate change, which obviously, you know, we all want to address and the pharmaceutical industry is no different from other industries in wanting to be, you know, responsible and wanting to move to be more sustainable. So what we're seeing now is a focus on what we call the HFC or HFA propellants. And they're basically um, F gases. And we are seeing a focus on wanting to transition away from those to more sustainable alternatives for the propellant gases that we use in our metered dose inhalers. So the current F gases that we're using were actually as a result of the previous transition, you know, back in the day, they were seen as the green alternatives to CFCs, you know, back in the 80s, We've got the hole in the ozone layer. We've got the Montreal Protocol, the global protocol addressing, you know, substances that deplete the, the ozone layer, ozone depleting substances. And so this industry has already gone through a transition to greener, more sustainable alternatives. But now, of course, with the climate change crisis, we need to do more. And so now the F gases that we are um, using now need to be transitioned to even greener alternatives with lower global warming. Warming potential. And so, with that in mind, we are seeing F gas policy in Europe, in the UK you know, in the US as well being reviewed. And there's a lot of encouragement and a drive for several industries, including the pharma industry, to transition from our use of the current F gases that we are using to greener alternatives. So that's what's going on here. There are other other policy changes happening around sustainability in pharma, but the one that concerns us as a big MDI manufacturer and supplier is this one. It's the It's the focus on the F gases that we're using.
0: So obviously, Cendeva has only been around for two years, but actually Cendeva has uh, been through this before. Uh, This isn't new to us. We have people who have actually worked on the previous change from CFC to HFA. Is that
1: correct? Absolutely, John. We are so lucky to have such a wealth of knowledge and expertise and experience, of course, in our company. So, yes, our previous owners, 3M, were at the absolute forefront of the CFC to HFA transition. And our particular division, we used to be called 3M Drug Delivery Systems. We were at the forefront of this transition globally. We were one of the founder members of IPAC, the International Pharmaceutical Aerosols Consortium, which was formed so that industry could collaborate to move away from CFCs, to the greener propellants. And yes, we were a leader. We did uh, register and launch the world's first CFC free meter dose inhaler back in the early 90s. And yeah, very, very pleased that um, several of our scientists and regulators that worked on that project are still with us today and, you know, uh, really you know, contributing to the new transition with all of that experience and all of those relationships, you know, with the regulators and with the environmental agencies worldwide wide as well so that's good for us to know that we have that experience that we can call on and we'll be a leader again in this new transition that's absolutely our goal
0: that's great so now i want to kind of move in and and I, to get into the article maybe give us a little background because i think there's some specific uk policy that that's being proposed or you can kind of tell me where where it's at i'm i'm not familiar with UK politics, <laughs> just being on the, the other side of the ocean. But I, I know it's sometime this year, there was a, a push to transition away from PMDIs to DPI. Just give me a little background on what that policy was. And then maybe we can start to talk about, uh, you kind of covered six myths in, in this article, and we can kind of go over some of those. But at first, I, w- I kind of want to understand what the policy or at least the proposal was in place
1: well it's something that you know i feel quite strongly about john being a pmdi advocate and knowing how many um patients really rely upon the pmdi format and what i observed not only in the UK, but in some other European countries as well, is that the PMDI seemed to be getting a bad rap, OK? So, you know, health systems and governments want to decarbonise, and we absolutely support that, you know, as a company. We want to, you know, embrace that and do our part to drive that and support that. Uh, but what, what we were seeing happening was in several countries, and let's take the UK as an example, the National Health Service uh, put out a policy a couple of years ago, in fact, and said, we don't want to wait for low GWP, uh, PMDIs. I think there was some disbelief that the industry was actually acting. We don't want to wait for those. We want to do something fast to to start to decarbonise the inhaler industry in the UK and and the treatment of asthma and COPD in the UK. So this is just an example of a policy, but this was quite a key one. So some targets were set and some incentives were put in place for prescribing physicians, for GPs as we call them, general practitioners in the UK, to begin to initiate new patients onto dry powders rather than PMDIs and to switch where clinically safe to do so. I must say that it's you know it's not been sort of switch at all costs, but where clinically appropriate to do so, to switch patients to a low carbon inhaler. In this case, it's a non-MDI inhaler. And so that policy was in place for all of last year. And then this year in October, uh, the bar was raised and the targets were set even higher to encourage GPs to move more patients away from MDIs and into other alternatives. Which tend to be dry powder inhalers.
0: So maybe I'll jump in here. So you know we've we've got a myth here from the article that most for most patients the DPIs are more effective than PMDIs and, and patients prefer them. Is is that true at all? Is I mean I'm I'm just kind of laying that out there. So
1: yeah, thanks, John. Yeah, that no, that was one of the myths that I address in the article. And I would say you know many of the proponents of this. PMDI to DPI switch method of decarbonising the inhaler market will often selectively cite studies that seemingly prove That uh, dry powder inhalers are more effective than PMDIs, that patients find them easier to use or that patients prefer them. And what I would say is that, you know, for every study that shows that DPIs are more effective and patients prefer them, there's another study that shows that PMDIs are more effective and patients prefer them. So I am certainly not here to say the PMDI is right in all circumstances, the PMDI is better, the PMDI is you know, right right for every patient, that, that would be wrong of me. But what I am saying is let's take a balanced view. So I have seen a lot of the explanation behind this switch policy coming from, you know, just one or two studies being cited. And what we would say as Kindeva of, and indeed what we have done, you know, through this article that I've written is say, look at the breadth and the wealth of the literature here. Look at all the studies, look at the meta-analysis, you know, look at the literature reviews and take a view. And actually, what that view tells you is that there is no preferred device. There is no one size fits all. Some patients find a PMDI better, easier, more effective, prefer using it and others would say the same about a dry powder. So let's not be one-sided about it and selectively cite studies that support a particular way of thinking. Let's take a balanced view. That's that's my thoughts okay. on that. I think um I think to pigeonhole the PMDI and say this is only suitable for delivering salbutamol, you know, the short acting beta agonist therapy would be a mistake and would really deprive many patients from a format that they have used, you know, maybe their entire life, find easy, find effective, and they don't want to switch from. So, as I say, I think the the, the evidence is there in the literature. Look at all the references, take a view, but let's make sure we take a broad view and we're not just looking narrowly at one or two studies to to support a point of view.
0: So, How about, you know, do you think patients have a right to be made aware of the the carbon footprint that, that their inhalers or their, you know, medicine might have before they're prescribed, whatever the treatment is?
1: I think personally, my view is that we need to be very careful about this. Now, you know, patients need to be informed and involved in the decision making about their treatments. Of course they do. And I don't think that anyone would advocate otherwise. But we need to be very, very careful because when we saw the inflammatory headlines in the UK, was it the summer of 2020, we saw some headlines that had come from a paper that had been written, which said, using your inhaler is as bad as, you know, eating so many burgers or driving from, you know, Land's End to John O'Groats or whatever, whatever the stats were that were being used. And this resulted in a backlash in social media from patients. And they said, wait a minute, I'm using this product because I have to. It's helping me control my condition, and it's saving my life. And I do not want to be made to feel bad about that. So I think yes, by all means, let's make patients aware, but let's just be careful and not be sensationalist and not make patients feel bad about using their life-saving medicine. You know, the the, the global guidelines around asthma management and COPD management. You know, the um, the gold and, and and other guidelines say so it's very, very important to involve the patient, but it's very, very important to match the right therapy and the right inhaler type and device to the patient. And what we mustn't do is have patients losing confidence in their treatment, being scared to use it and stopping using it because that can have very severe, potentially life-threatening consequences. So if we're going to communicate to patients about the carbon status of their inhaler, we must do that very responsibly and avoid the sensationalist headlines.
0: Makes sense. So, you know, I've also seen that a minority of patients, some young children are unable to to use DPIs, um, but the majority of patients find them easier to use and require less coordination than a PMDI leading to greater adherence. I'm assuming this kind of goes back to the first point, but, you know, maybe speak more specifically around coordination between the two. Again, there's probably a a plethora of studies out there showing data on both sides, but I'll, I'll let you speak to that.
1: Yeah, thanks, John. Anyone that works in this space, right, in and COPD management, they understand how challenging it is to get patients to use devices correctly and to adhere to their treatment. It is a disease state that is characterised by, sadly, by poor control and by patients struggling to use these devices, because many of them are not straightforward. What I would say is that, you know, there there is evidence and there are studies that, just as many, if not more, users of dry powder inhalers struggle with technique than do PMDI users. And, you know, one particular study says 94% of dry powder users and just 74% of MDI users make mistakes when using their devices. Now, nobody's happy with 74%, (laughs) okay, (laughs) but we certainly shouldn't be, you know, advocating that everyone switches to a device where 94%, you know, struggle to use the device it's really important that patients get some consistency in their devices I think this tells us because we know it's time consuming to train patients and you know really you only want to have to train them once and then check their technique and then you know hopefully achieve some consistency in the way they're using their devices. The issue with dry powders is that pretty much everyone is different you know you have reservoir devices you have devices that need loading with capsules there's different opening, closing twisting you know all sorts of things going on with the use of that device whereas what we can say about a pmdi although in some circumstances it can be challenging for patients to to learn and use what we can say is every single one is the same so if you can learn to use one then you can use any pmdi and and again this is why we advocate you know if a patient is comfortable and has has learned to use a pmdi and feel confident in that device then let's leave them with that and not prematurely switch them out of that for this sort of short term carbon led thinking when actually low GWP, low carbon MDIs are on the horizon. And we'll talk about that shortly, John. But, you know, we are less than five years away from the first ones being available. So let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater, you know, and take this device away from patients if they're confident in using it.
0: Okay. So when we're looking at kind of these different inhaler devices, you know, is the PMDI is really the only one that has an environmental impact from a propellant standpoint? Is that really all we should be looking at when it comes to sustainability policies for these medications?
1: It's a great question. And um, the focus is absolutely on propellants, as you've heard. You know, we must take, again, some broader thinking because propellants are only a part of the story with regards to a product's life cycle, you know, and its total environmental impact. So, whilst absolutely propellants are the focus, and as an industry, we have to transition to lower GWP propellants and, you know, in doing so, we will massively reduce the carbon footprint of the PMDI industry and of the inhaler industry as a whole. We must also not lose sight of the fact um, that there are other considerations. So we have to think about, you know, the amount of plastic that's used in devices and particularly some of the dry powder devices. Um, A recent study showed that once we move to the low GWP PMDI, then that inhaler with the new propellant in it will have the lowest total environmental impact for um, 10 out of 14 different categories that have been considered in a recent study. Whilst the DPI would be the worst option for eight of the impacts out of 14. So again, this is why we are advocating for maintaining the MDI market and giving the industry chance to transition to low GWP propellants, because once we have done so, in less than five years time, we will have an inhaler in our hands That is superior in general terms across many, many more aspects of environmental sustainability as well. And, you know, we, we mustn't think that once we've changed the propellant that we've all done our jobs and sit back and congratulate ourselves because there is more to do on plastics, on the use of metal, on all sorts of of aspects of of the inhaler. So, you know, we are working hard to, for example, design new dose counters that have, you know, much lower parts count, much less use of uh, metal and plastic than the previous ones have. So we must all keep going and not think that um, propellants are the answer to everything. They're the first thing that we've got to change, but we've got to keep going. And we certainly intend to at Kindeva.
0: Okay. So you brought up a point there. You know, I, I have asthma and I have uh, used both PMDI and DPI. You know, I, I see my DPI has a, a counter on it and I always thought that was nice. So I didn't throw it out while well, there was still medicine left. And you're saying that some PMDIs also can have, have a counter on them too. Is that correct?
1: Yes, they do. And not every PMDI in every market yet has a dose counter on it. But it's most definitely a trend, John, because it's great practice, isn't it, for a patient to be able to see, as you just said, how many doses they've got left. So that they don't um, carry on using it, you know, right to the very last drop because they might not get the right amount of drug. if They use it literally till it's empty and they're spraying air. um, That's no good. But also it's no good if they throw it out too soon while there's still some usable doses left. You know, that's not very environmentally friendly either. So we innovated in dose counters many years ago. I think it was 2006. Two thousand and seven, when we launched our integrated dose by dose counter to the industry, and I'm pleased to say that's been adopted on several of our clients' uh, products over the years. It's a robust dose counter. it's it's an accurate dose counter. You know and again, that's one where you know we are innovating to take you know even more components and more plastic out of the supply chain so yeah the i would say in the developed markets the majority of mdi's now have a dose counter um so the dry powder device doesn't have that advantage any longer over the meter dose inhaler
0: okay so now kind of the last myth and and it to me, this is kind of crucial. You know, I, I think it gets kind of the heart of it. So, you know, to decarbonize the inhaler market quickly, we need to just switch as many patients as possible from PMDIs to DPIs and reduce the, the carbon footprint as quick as possible. Tell me why that's not necessarily the best approach.
1: Yeah, it's it's a great question, John. And it required us to partner with another pharmaceutical company and um, friends of ours, um, Chiesi who are a pharmaceutical company based in Parma, Italy, but with a very strong business throughout Europe and particularly in the UK. And we were talking one day and wondering really if anyone had studied the impact of the NHS's policy to switch patients. And so we actually got together and commissioned an economic modelling agency called Frontier Economics to study the policy and to look at you know, some different scenarios with regards to that uh, MDI to DPI switch policy. And what the study found was that the policy to switch patients from PMDIs to DPIs is unlikely to result in a substantial reduction in carbon emissions because the faster you switch patients to non-MDI treatments, the faster you shrink the MDI market and the faster that takes away the market opportunity, you know, and the incentives for the PMDI companies to invest in the innovation and you know in the production of these new low gwp inhalers and you know we're not the only people to be saying this you know there's uh, been several pieces very recently i would say in the last three to four months in the pharmaceutical press aimed at pharmacists in the medical press as well aimed at prescribing gps that are questioning um, policy there was a recent paper in the uh, BMJ, the British Medical Journal, that found uh, very, very similar that, you know, the, the right way to decarbonise the inhaler market is to switch both the non-salbutamol and the salbutamol market to low GWP PMDIs and that that is the fastest way to achieve a decarbonisation. And, you know, again, if we just take a proportion of the market, the non-salbutamol market, and switch that to DPIs, then that really imbalances the market and takes away the incentive of some of the players in the market to invest in the new green propellant technology. So, whilst, you know, on the face of it, the policy seems very well intentioned. You know, we can see that, you know, the policymakers want to take action. You know, let's not wait for low GWP propellants. Let's switch patients now to a lower carbon uh, DPI inhaler. Whilst that on the face of it seems the right thing to do and is very well intentioned, what we find when we look a bit deeper into sort of how that plays out is that there are unintended consequences. You slow down, the transition you actually don't make carbon savings overall uh, because you delay the transition in the salbutamol market you actually drive a cost to the nhs and actually there is the risk of having a negative impact on patients as well, because there is literature out there that shows that if you switch patients from one device to another for non-clinical reasons, for carbon leg reasons, then a certain number, probably in the sort of 4% region of patients, will struggle to control their condition, will have an exacerbation, and will end up in hospital. And actually, if a patient goes to a clinical setting... Uh, their carbon footprint rises exponentially and far outweighs any carbon saving that's been made by switching their inhaler. So, again, you know, we are advocating for the bigger picture to be looked at here. And also, you know, for these health systems such as the NHS to work with us, the industry, because we've decarbonised before, we've moved before from one propellant to another, and we know how to do it and we want to do it. So please just give us the time that we need to do it in a controlled manner is really what we're asking for, John.
0: Okay, I just thought of a question because when we did transition before, I know, you know, it was over a, a quite a while. It wasn't like oh, we're going from CFA's to HFA's in a day. I, I think you know there were certain markets where they could just do that drop-in transition. You know, maybe my refrigerator didn't use CFCs anymore, and they just drop in HFA's. This market's obviously different in many ways from refrigeration, but you know, it's a regulated environment. And I guess maybe speak to the fact that that kind of requires a certain amount of of forethought and planning. It's not like we can just change over propellants overnight. You know, it takes some science behind the scene to make sure everything's going to work as, as it did before and remains effective. Maybe talk about this regulatory process a little bit for me.
1: Yeah, absolutely, John. And anyone that's as, as old as you, you or I can remember the last transition, right? You just talked about your refrigerator. And I remember uh, when hairspray had to move CFC free <laughs> in the late 80s when we all had to. Yeah. hair. <laughs> so they were some consumer examples that you know most people would have seen and, and, and would remember. But yeah, I mean, Transitioning a product that is being inhaled into the lungs and is a life saving medication is clearly a much more serious business than replacing the propellant in a refrigerator or in a hairspray, right? Or in a car air conditioning system. You know, these are some of the other uses for these propellants that we're using. So, yeah, it, it's a complex transition to make. It's not just a drop in. You know, we have thousands of hours of work, thousands upon thousands of data points of data, you know, to generate, to be able to put the uh, dossiers together to, to then be able to show to the regulatory authorities and to be clear ourselves that what we are proposing in terms of a formulation with a new propellant in it is safe, is effective, you know, and is going to be safe in the patient's hands. And, you know, the the patient really must be at the forefront of all of this, which is why, you know, none of us want to to rush this. We want to work as quickly as we can to decarbonise, but in a safe and controlled manner without disruptions to supply chain, without patients, you know, not being able to get access to the drugs that they um, depend upon. So yes, it's, um, it's, it's complex work, it's technical work, it's time consuming work, and it requires deep expertise. Um, across, you know, not only chemistry, but material science and engineering as well. And I'm pleased to say that, you know, we've got a fantastic combination of the very experienced scientists at endeavour that have already been through this. And we've got the best of the best young scientists and engineers coming through as well that are developing the you know the new science that we need to be able to understand how these new propellants are going to perform once they're in 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 you know medical aerosols in PMDIs so you know and and this this transition is going to happen faster so even though it's just as complicated as the CFC to HFA transition in the early 90s global warming says you know that that, that this has got to happen quickly you know we we can't wait and So that's why the industry is working, you know, night and day, really, on this problem. And we have all that experience, not only in Kindeva, but across the industry as well, of course. We have that experience from the early 90s to build upon. And so if any of the listeners aren't aware, as I think I mentioned earlier, the first products will be available and come into the market by 2025. You know, four companies, including Kindeva, have announced their intention to have the first new green propellant containing pmdi to the market before the end of 2025 and that's that's the rate of change now everything speeds up doesn't it john but that's the rate <laughs> of transition now and it's going to be a lot faster than it was last time
0: okay yeah being familiar with the industry four years seems really fast so I and, and i know it's faster than the previous transition to wrap up here you know it seems like you know coming into this i probably was under the opinion like why don't we just change quick you know And it sounds like, you know, it's really important to take that patient-centered approach and kind of a a broader view, instead of just running and jumping off the cliff thinking we're doing the best thing, we really need to build a ramp. It's going to take some time to get where we want to get, but taking that time is the only way to do it the right way. So I really appreciate your insight and, you know, the information, and I know all the hard work you've done on this. So anything else you want to add before we, we sign off here?
1: John, I think, you know, you've hit the high points there and, you know, one of the things I always stress and as IPAC, our trade association, we always stress in our key messages as well is that the patient is what is important here and the patient must be at the forefront and the centre of our thinking. And at the end of the day, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, the chemistry, the science, the regulation, the environmental policy. And at the end of the day, we must remember that we are talking about putting a a product in the patient's hands that they rely upon and which gives them a quality of life and also, you know, in many cases saves their life as well, because asthma and COPD are both acute life-threatening conditions as well as being chronic conditions. So let's all remember that. Keep working hard. Um, as an industry, we'll certainly keep working hard as Kindeva to lead the industry through this transition and look forward to seeing what the next four to five years brings in terms of new, more sustainable PMDIs um, to keep patients well.
0: Thank you for listening to Coffee with Kindeva, a series of thought-provoking conversations about complex drug delivery. Join us next time as we continue the journey into the fascinating world of Kendeva drug delivery.